Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Glad you're here. Came on a good day. Well, every Lord's Day is a good day. Hey, we have a, uh, a special guest with us today. Um, God has given us the privilege uh, in so many spheres of connecting uh, with folks in our community to serve our community and, and bring glory to God and blessing to people. And one of our partners uh, in one of those efforts is here today. So, Carrie, Carrie Lawson, this, y'all welcome Carrie to our stage and, and her precious son. <laughs> Carrie, I'm going to give you this microphone once again. And, well, I'm, you, you're good? I, I'm, Carrie's a mom, so I know she can handle uh, multiple tasking kinds of things. Uh, Carrie uh, is one of our partners uh, that is from Oak Brook Elementary School. I know you see that on the slide on the screen. Um, she serves there in one specific capacity, but she also serves in lots and lots of other ways that actually bring blessing into my life and your life and our lives. Carrie has been instrumental in so many of the opportunities that we've had to be a part of the work there, reading buddies and uh, love gave opportunities and just so many ways, so many, so many, many ways. Uh, Carrie has a heart for, for children and their families and the gospel. And that's one of the things that I love so much about Carrie is she loves the Lord Jesus and loves to uh, not only talk about him, but display his goodness uh, where she lives, works, and plays, and educates. And so she's here today. Uh, God has given Carrie kind of a special insight, vision, whatever you want to call it, for something uh, to do this summer a little differently than we've done in our partnership with them in the past. And so, Carrie, I'm going to ask you if you would just share a little bit about what, what God has shared with us and how we can participate. So um, I just want to start by saying thank you so much to all of you for partnering with Oak Brook Elementary School. It means the world to us. Um, when I say to my education counterparts that we have a church that has adopted us and prays for us and, you know, is just so kind to us, they're like, well, how do we get one of those? <laughs> so you guys are definitely one of a kind. So thank you for all that you do for the staff and the teachers. It definitely helps us in times we're not always supported. So we typically do Love Gave in December every year, and you guys partner with us. Michelle Whitman is a great um, partner for me as far as getting that stuff off the ground. And we do um, clothes and toys and gifts and things like that around Christmas. Well, the need that I continuously see is at the beginning of the school year, we have kids who go through a um, summer of drought or summer of desert, as I call it, where we don't have consistent meals three times a day. Uh, we may not have all of the materials that we need to start the school year, and so it kind of leads us into a rocky start, and our parents are really doing the very best that they can. It's just with inflation and everything else that's been happening, it can be difficult, as many of you probably know, to get your kids back to school. So we would like to do a Love Gave um, back to school edition where we will be giving families um, school supplies, gently used children's clothing. So we would love for you guys to come help us on the day of, the night before. If you're willing to donate any of your children's gently used clothing, any brand new um, underwear or hygienic items, and any school supplies, um, we would love to have them. So the event is gonna take place on July 31st from eight to 10 in the morning. We will advertise it with our families, and um, then we will also have an opportunity for help the Friday night before to just kind of sort items. And so Michelle Whitman will be you guys' contact person. Um, but any way you're willing to assist, we would love it. Our families are always very grateful, and I know that um, it will be well-received because Love Gave in December is something that people ask about in August if we're going to have it. So thank you again, and anything that you guys are willing to do, we would love to have your help. It's a really um, easy and tangible way to be the hands and feet of Jesus and share the gospel um, to our families. Now, um, for us to get supplies there, tell, tell, tell me how we do that. Do we need to wait till that Friday night before? Or what can we do? So the school is actually open every day, Monday through Thursday from 8 to 5 p.m. And the front office staff already knows that we have donations coming in because our faculty and staff have actually been dropping off donations 
since June 5th. So um, you are welcome to drop anything off in the front office. You can just tell them it's for Love Gave and they will put it in my classroom. All right, he wants to talk on the microphone, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he has anything to say yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie, we are so grateful again for, for you inviting us uh, to participate again, and we, we want to serve uh, as, as much as the Lord would allow uh, us to, and then even more. We'd like to continue to, to be generous in this. And before you step down, I just want to pray for you and for this Love Gave uh, Summer. And he's, he's going to talk. He, 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 the, he's a Mr. Microphone guy. I'm afraid I can he's see just going to eat yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> short circuit. <laughs> well, let me pray. Father God, we, we do come giving thanks for your goodness. I thank you for that part of your goodness is poured out on us through folks like Carrie. Uh, who you've given us relationship with. And we know it's from you, God. It's from above. We praise your holy name for that. I pray for Carrie, God. I pray that you would continue to bless her and keep her, uh, provide for her every need, God, because she just keeps pouring it back out uh, into this community and even on us. So, God, I pray your blessing on her. Lord, we join our hearts together now asking you to bless the work that will take place uh, on, on, on Love Gave uh, on July 31st. We, we just pray for that now, that, that Saturday, God, that there will be a great outpouring of blessing uh, from, from this community here at River Bluff into our community, uh, God, and that, Lord, we'll have opportunities to meet and touch lives that day for your glory and for, for your goodness to be known. And so, Father, uh, I pray that you will stir in our hearts uh, to give generously and sacrificially to this, that you'll call us to this work and to participate, uh, God, and it will be a great day uh, of, of celebrating your goodness in our community. Lord, I thank you again for Carrie. I thank you for our partners, all of them at Oak Brook. I pray, pray your blessing, your, your, your provision, your protection as they gear up for another school year here in the coming weeks. I just pray, God, that your hand would be on them and that you would strengthen and undergird them now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all thank Carrie for joining us today. And I'll have that. Thank you, thank you. I, I can't even hold just a microphone, you know, and, 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 and accomplish much of anything. How Carrie does that. Now, um, just so you know, Carrie stayed with us through the first service, but I not only gave her permission, but I suggested she may want to slip out now. This has been a long morning for, for her and her precious child. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'm going to ask you to open them uh, to Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to be today if I don't throw the furniture off the stage. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, at a unique story there. Before I I dive into that. Just a couple of other things that I want to share. Um, this afternoon at 545, we'll have our quarterly family meeting. That's a time when we spend a lot of time really praying about what God is doing here uh, and in different ministries. Our ministry team leaders will report on what God is doing. And uh, also, we've got a report from our elders that we'll give today about an upcoming a bylaws change that we need to make. Uh, we won't be voting on that tonight, but we'll be presenting that uh, for the first time in our family meeting. So I hope you'll uh, be able to make that. Now, um, we started a series last week that I'm entitling um, Jesus Answers Some of Life's Toughest Questions. And uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a tough question that uh, gets asked of Jesus in kind of a roundabout way, but is asked of Jesus uh, from the lady in the passage that we look at today. So if you have your Bibles uh, open to Matthew chapter 15, I want us to start reading in verse 21. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 15. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he, speaking of Jesus, did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread 
and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, I want to stop there for a minute. We're going to go back and read verse 28 in just a second. But I want to pause there for for just a moment. And I want to just ask this question of you and ask you to just a moment of honesty. How many of you, when you read those words, feel like, what's up with Jesus? You feel like Jesus is like maybe being rude. Now, I know you're thinking, we can't say that in church, can we? Uh, but but it's, it's, I mean, if you read that, there's something kind of obvious there that you're thinking, there's something going on here. This is really one of the most striking encounters uh, in the New Testament. It's, it's a passage that can be quite puzzling. So she, she has answered Jesus and said again, Lord, even the dogs have uh, access to the crumbs that fall from the tables. And then in verse 28, Jesus says this, O woman... Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter, the Bible tells us, was healed instantly. This lady's daughter. This is, is the word of the Lord. Now, this has, in a strange way, become one of my, just one of my favorite, we'll call it my favorite strange passage, favorite strange encounter with Jesus. And this, this woman who the Bible doesn't even give us a name. She, she blows in for just a couple of verses and, and then she's gone. We never see her again. But when I read the Bible, I, I try to connect, try to personalize it. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And so I, I like to give unnamed people names. It just helps me connect with them. I don't know what that does to you. And so um, I, I've named her Lady Faith. So when I think about this, this lady in, in Matthew chapter 15, I, I, think about, I, I think about lady faith. And I do that because in verse uh, 28, Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. Now I'm going to refer to her as lady faith as we go through this. So don't get her mixed up with the, the concept of faith, okay? This is lady faith. Now, I, again, I know that this, this encounter is like pretty much any other, other that we see Jesus having. Um, one commentator that I read years ago uh, about this is a guy by the name of Kenneth Bailey. And um, he's, he's a professor of New Testament. Uh, he uh, taught in the Middle East for about 40 years in lots of places, Jerusalem, Egypt, Lebanon, all over the Middle East. And, and one of the things that he introduced in his commentary on this passage was uh, the concept of a master teacher. Uh, in that culture, and master teacher. And we've talked about this before. Not only is Jesus the, 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 the God-sent Savior of the whole world, he's the smartest person that ever walked the world uh, also in the flesh. He's also the greatest teacher that, that, that ever taught. Now, the reality about a master teacher, uh, Dr. Bailey pointed out, was uh, they know that people don't just um, don't just get all of truth just through lectures. So I don't consider myself a master teacher, okay? Uh, because I talk a lot. I know that. Um, but Jesus was a master teacher, and he realizes people don't get it all just through lecture. They need to experience it. There has to be a part of that. And I think that's what's going on here in, in this particular passage. And I think you have to see that, that a master teacher is able to teach on more than one level to more than one group at a time. He can be bringing the same message, but he's hitting different, different people in different groups at different points simultaneously. And to, to dive into this clearly, I think you need to see Jesus that way. Because Jesus, I believe in this moment, is giving test. I think he's giving a, a, a test. One of my favorite stories about taking a test is... Uh, about a college senior. He's going into his final semester uh, in college, and um, he discovers at the last minute that he needs one more science. And so he goes to, to register for science class thinking he's going to find an easy one to get in. They're all full. The only class available is an ornithology class, study of birds class, and it's taught by the most dreaded professor on the campus. Gives the hardest exams. This guy goes in, he's got to have the science, so he registers, he goes to the class, he doesn't miss a day during the whole semester, he's, he just digs in because he knows he's, he's got to have this, and he does pretty good on most of the tests, but he comes to the final exam, and he, he you know, does an all-nighter before and all that kind of stuff, and he comes into the, 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 
the classroom that day, and the testing is a little different. It's not set up the same way. There's not, you know, paper and, and writing instruments available or anything like that. The only thing that's there are there are 25 pictures on the wall. And you've got to, the, the test, the instructions on the board say this, um, I want you to identify these 25 birds. Now, the pictures of the birds are not of the whole birds. It's just of their knees and below, their feet. So, this kid says, raised his hand, said, you're wanting us, our final exam is just identify these birds by their feet. Yes. Well, he goes ballistic. He goes absolutely crazy. Nobody can do, I mean, he's talking out loud. Nobody could do this. There's no way anybody could, could, could pass this test. You couldn't even pass this test. And the professor says, well, this is the final and the, the young man says, well, I, I'm not going to take it. I'm just not going to take it. And the professor says, well, okay. Then you'll, you'll, fail, you'll fail the class. You'll just flunk. Well, I'll flunk then. Just, just, just fail me. And the professor says, okay, I'll, I'll fail you. What's your name? And the young man looked at the professor. He kicked off his shoes. He rolled his pants legs up to his knees. And he said, you tell me. Now, that has nothing to do with the test that Jesus is giving, but it's my favorite story uh, uh, about, about testing that there is. Jesus is giving a different kind of test. Jesus is giving a test to both this woman that he's encountering and his disciples. And here's the test that I believe Jesus is giving. Jesus is testing his disciples and this unbeliever on mercy, on mercy, and so as we walk through this, I want you to kind of pick out who you think is like scoring high grades here and who's kind of bumbling through this test. Because it's kind of, it's kind of the same test coming but going in different directions. And I, wanna, I want you to do this even further. I want you to think about which test is Jesus giving me right now? Which, which, which test is Jesus bringing to my mind and my heart and my soul? Now, in this setting, Jesus and his disciples have gone to far north, farther north than they normally hang out. And normally when they went up there, they, they do this to get away, they, they, looking for some rest. And, and Tyre and Sidon, that area, were Phoenician cities way up the Mediterranean coast. And for this story, you need to understand context historically. The Israelites hated, they despised the people of Tyre and Sidon. They, 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 they just did. Um, they, they're, they're considered their bitterest enemies. Jesus was teaching Israelites one time, people of Israel, um, in Chorazin and, and Bethsaida, and in Matthew chapter 11, he said this. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for them on the day of judgment uh, for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Now, Jesus uses that, that illustration of Tyre and Sidon because he knows that the Israelites think these are the most wicked people on the planet. The Tyre and Sidon, you know, he says, if, if the miracles I did in your uh, watching and, and hearing and seeing, if I had done that for them, they'd have repented. See, again, the Israelite people thought, thought that Tyre and Sidon was like sin capital of the world. And the point of all this is this woman that has come out that the disciples are seeing, they would have looked at her as a member of the, the spiritually most degraded people they know, despised people they know. But she comes to Jesus begging. Look back at verse 22 with me of Matthew 15. It says, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, did you notice she humbles herself, how humble she gets? She cries out to him, Lord. It's, it's the Greek word used here is the word kurios. It's an expression of submission. She, she's calling him Lord. And the, again, this, this account is just amazing. She not only calls him Lord, but she calls him son of David. She has gone and learned something about Judaism. So she's being deeply respectful here. Uh, the gospel writer Mark tells us specifically that she's a, a Gentile woman, a, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she comes begging him. She's not Jewish. 
She doesn't have, you know, Jewish history. But she knows something. She's taken the time to learn something about the religion of the one to whom she's going to come and beg from. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, I don't know how you read that, but that statement to me is a statement. There's not really a question mark there. But to me, it's more like a question. It's kind of like, O Lord, son of David, could you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on me? Is it possible that, that you being a Jew in the, the great lineage of King David, could you grant me some mercy that I've heard you're granting to others in your own people? Is, is the mercy of God available to somebody like me that's not part of your, your faith community? And it's in this moment that we see Jesus giving her the first part of her test. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus gives unbelieving lady faith, and it may just come of his faith, but you write in lady faith. Jesus gives unbelieving lady faith the true humility test. I want you to look at how Jesus replies to her request for mercy, her first request for mercy. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 23, it says, but he, being Jesus, did not answer her a word. She comes running out begging for mercy, and Jesus does not answer her. Her daughter is suffering terribly. She's described it. She comes to Jesus in humility and reverence, and Jesus acts like he doesn't even hear her. It seems like Jesus just blows her off. And did you notice that Matthew doesn't hide this reality? I mean, he puts it down, so we have to, have to wrestle through this. Now, Matthew knows how the story's going to end before he starts writing it. He, 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 you know, he, he, he was there. He, he, he was a witness to this. And I think he did this because he needed us to struggle through this. The Holy Spirit, of course, inspired him to write this way. But Matthew knew that we needed to feel the tension. I think he's, he's doing this on purpose. Now, th- this woman... She, she's decided here that she's come to Jesus, but now the question is, is how, how deeply does she believe that this man could do something? How much is she willing to trust herself to, to this healer? How much more would she have to humble herself? Well, this is part one of her exam, and I want to leave her for just a second, and I want to turn to the disciples because Jesus does. I think Jesus' attention really for most of this uh, encounter is focused on the disciples because he's teaching them something here. Now, it would not have, it may, it may feel surprising to us that Jesus would not answer. He wouldn't talk to her. To the disciples, that would not have been unusual in that day for a rabbi not to speak publicly with a woman. That would not have been so unusual. There's actually rabbinic sayings from that time. One of the rabbinic sayings goes like this. It says, he that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at last will inherit Gehenna or hell. That That was a saying among rabbis about speaking to a woman other than their own spouse. That was, that was something that was going around. And these guys grew up with that. The disciples did. They grew up with that. So they would not have been shocked by Jesus not speaking to her. So Jesus seemingly, deliberately ignores this woman, I believe, to see what his disciples are doing. Are they going to get it here? Are they going to see this as a test? Do they, do they yet understand what Jesus is really all about? And what Jesus is doing here for them is the first phase of their test is Jesus gives his believing disciples the true compassion test. He's looking to see, do you guys, is there any ounce of compassion in you? Well, look at their response in verse 23. And I think they're quite confident in the way that they're going to say this. I think they think going in, you know, our words are going to meet with the approval of Jesus. We're going to really shine here. So they said in verse 23, um, and his disciples came uh, and, and begged him, saying, so now they're begging him, send her away, for she is crying out after, after who? What does this text say? She's crying out after us. Who did the woman come and cry out to? They're thinking mighty highly of themselves, aren't they? Do you notice that? They, they just think, yeah, she's coming crying after us. You know, she's, she, she's bothering us. The, the woman never asks for them. The woman never even uh, addresses them. She came for Jesus, but somehow they generously sneak themselves into the woman's request. You know, they, they have this high opinion of themselves. 
And they kind of come and say, Jesus, you know, she's, she's bothering us. We, 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 we came up here to get away. We, you know, we just needed a rest. Send her away, Jesus. Can you think of another time when the disciples tried to send some people away from Jesus? You know, if you go back to, uh, there's a story in, in, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus Little children are trying to get to Jesus. Parents are bringing their kids to Jesus. And the disciples say, you know, they considered themselves experts on who Jesus wanted to be with. And, and Jesus had to teach them a lesson then. And now they're still not getting it because Jesus said, let the little children come. The disciples had tried to send them away. So Jesus is moving this test along for the disciples, this, this part of the exam for him. And he, he's talking to the disciples here. And, you know, they come and say, send her away. She's bothering us. Now, I want you to see how Jesus responds. And again, he knows the woman's there, but he's interacting with his disciples. And this is how he responds. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent only to these. Now, why does Jesus say this? Because in so many other places in the gospel, even in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus makes it really clear that he sees his mission being for the whole world, that none would perish. Earlier in the gospel of Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 8, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus, a Gentile, a pagan, not, not of the tribe of Israel. And he comes and asks Jesus to heal his servant, and Jesus does. And, and not only that, but Jesus at that point says, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. From Israelites, from the, the people appointed by God for their mission. I've never seen such great faith like I have in the life of this centurion right here. Jesus was uh, amazed by that. Jesus goes on in that same passage to say, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table in the kingdom of heaven. When you see that phrase, from the east and west, what Jesus is saying there is they will come from all over the world. From, from, from all over the world. It, it's, it, it's really technical language for Gentiles of which you are unless you're a Hebrew, of which this woman was. Jesus said he had come bringing the kingdom of God so that anyone could enter in. But now, here he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now again, there's not a question there, it's a statement, but I think it's a question for the disciples. I think Jesus is putting out a statement there to see how they're going to respond. I'm convinced this is part of, of this test. What looks like Jesus is at first uh, agreeing with him, you know, agreeing with the disciples, you know, of course I'll get rid of her. I was sent just here for, for the people of Israel. Of course we're, we're the only chosen people by God. Of course we're the favorites. Of course we're the elect. We're, we're on the inside. We have no time for this Gentile riffraff. That's what it appears Jesus is doing. But here's the question. Does Jesus ever send her away? Does he ever do it? He, he doesn't do that. I think he's watching his disciples to see what they're doing. Will, will any of them step up and champion this woman? Will it, have any of them really got his real mission yet? Have, have they got it yet? Will they stand up for her? And you can see them all nodding their heads. Yeah, Jesus, send her away. That's right, send her away. If, you, if you're not keeping up, let me go ahead and tell you. They're failing their test miserably. They're blowing this exam right now, okay? They're failing miserably. But look back at, at Lady Faith for a moment. She's going to enter kind of part two of her part of the test. And again, the picture, the scene is Jesus has ignored her statement. He's focused his attention on the disciples and is engaging with them. You know, his words to her ears would have sounded like, you're an outsider, you're not my mission, you know, why should I serve you? And now the question is, is her concern for her daughter so deep? And is her belief and trust and hope in this, this healer that she's heard about, this man, is it so deep and intense that she's going to persevere that she'll keep going? And you can just imagine, she, she hears the screams of her child that she left. And I think she realizes, I don't have anybody else to turn to. There's no, there's no one else. And so the Bible tells us in verse 25 that she kneels down. She goes up to Jesus. She gets closer to him. She kneels down on, in the, on the ground, this, this posture of deep, rich humility and reverence. And she says again, Lord, help me. 
Now again, I believe we're entering this deeper uh, testing of, of this lady. Uh, and Jesus is giving unbelieving lady faith a true commitment test. Are you, are you really committed to this path? Do you really believe that I can do what you think I can do? Because up to this point, the healer, that's what she has kind of known him as, come to him for his healing, has not acted like she imagined he would act. But she is calling him Lord a second time and humbling herself. And Lady Faith is getting closer to the truth about the kingdom of God than the disciples are. The gospel writer Mark tells us that when Jesus began his public ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, he came talking about the kingdom. He says the time has come or is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near or at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This woman is coming that way, seeking the kingdom of God, seeking God's, God's mercy. Jesus has some good news for Lady Faith in this. Jesus wants Lady Faith to acknowledge him as Lord, to place her faith in him and his kingdom. And she has done this for the second time, coming in and saying, Lord. You know, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. She is acknowledging in the presence of these Jewish men that she sees Jesus. She sees him differently. She sees him as Lord. And so the disciples are watching this exchange. And I don't know about you, but I imagine, put on your sanctified imagination for a second, I imagine things have gotten real intense right there. I think the situation is pretty tense. I think the disciples are squirming. And I believe Jesus knew they would. And in fact, I believe Jesus set this up for this reason, to challenge their belief system that's rooted in lies, that's not rooted in the truth about God. And their, their belief system tells them this woman was to be rejected, that she was to be shunned, she's cut off from God, she's to be ignored and sent away. And they themselves would have said probably something similar to what Jesus had said, but now they're, they're coming face to face with this woman and, and her despair, this, this cry of a desperate woman. This cry of someone about a child who is in physical and spiritual agony. And you can almost see, if you read in between the lines, you can see their traditions being challenged. Their false notions that they've clung to just unraveling. Could God be bigger than we've ever thought? Could mercy from God be available to more people than we ever believed? But the disciples still aren't there yet. They're not quite there they need a shove. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus loves to shove you every now and then. Shove you towards his grace. And that's what he does to the disciples. He gladly gives them this push. And this is what Jesus does next. Jesus gives his believing disciples the true mercy test. Will you, will you see the mercy that God has? Will you really step into it? And so Jesus speaks again. Now remember, he's his attention is trained, honed in on the disciples. And the text doesn't tell us that he turns to the woman yet. He's still honed in on the disciples. And just so you can kind of get the dynamic of the story, it's, it's important to grab hold of that. He's still watching their faces. And in verse 26, Jesus says this, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Oh my goodness. What, what is, what's going on here? Now, we look at that and we wonder what's going on a little bit. For them, both parties, it would have been crystal clear. You know, when Jesus is saying this, this phrase about, you know, the children, who, who, who did the children represent? They're the, the people of God, the Israelite nation, the disciples and their, their people. Who are the dogs? The Gentiles. Everybody else. This This woman. That, that was one of the phrases that Jews used about Gentiles, especially the people from Tyre and Sidon. That's the way they thought about them. Now, dogs in the Middle East at that time were much differently thought of than dogs in our day. They weren't pets. They were, they were scavengers, basically. They, they were despised in the culture. And so Jesus is, is forcing his disciples to come face to face with you know, what's being thought and said here? 
So you really want me to get rid of this woman? You really think that my ministry is only about us? Only about the, the, the nation of Israel? You, you want me to hold on to this them versus us mentality? Okay, we'll do it. But you look at her. You see her suffering. You think about the screams of her daughter that she's come and told us about. You, you see the agony on her face. You see the humility in her eyes and in her posture and in her words. See, Jesus is actually giving voice to what they believe because he, he's already told them that he's come for everybody and they're still not getting it. See, he's creating this tension, this deliberate contrast, if you would, in his words and in what he's about to do. And Matthew wants us to wrestle with this. You know, it's, it's one thing to have contempt for somebody behind their back than it is to have it in their face. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to do that, to, to express something like this out loud in, in the presence of somebody, what, you're, what you really feel and think about them. It's a whole lot different than, you know, to do it behind their back than in front of us. It's a whole lot different to do it on social media instead of face-to-face. And Jesus is bringing them to this point. Will any of you men speak up for this woman? Will any of you say, Jesus, please have mercy on her. Jesus, we, we need to love her. But they're not there yet. They still haven't made it there. And so Jesus made this statement in verse 26. It sounds really harsh. This language about dogs and children. I believe to get the disciples to come face to face with this. But Lady Faith was hearing this. Now, let's go back to her for a minute. Jesus' response about dogs at first sounds really harsh, but something that I want to point out about the word that Jesus chose to use here for dogs, he could have used, there's two basic words that he could have used. One is about the, the scavenger, you know, uh, horrible kind of animal, dog, uh, grown dog that would talk about. But the, the word that Jesus has used here is kind of like for a little doggy, a little puppy dog. Is, is the way we would, we would think about that. Um, and, and interestingly, uh, just so you can kind of get a picture uh, for this, um, I heard a story about a, uh, a kind of a wimpy guy that uh, had a little uh, teacup poodle. And he was going in to uh, get some coffee, but the coffee shop wouldn't allow his dog to come in. So he, he just tied the dog uh, right outside the, the door to a little plant. And um, he was standing in line, and shortly a, a great big tattooed biker came in. And uh, he said, you know, dude, I'm, I, I, I just think I need to warn you. I don't know if your little doggy's going to make it. I just tied my German Shepherd up next to him. And so, you know, the guy gets out of line, runs out there, and, um, you know, just can't believe his eyes. And so he comes back in, and he, he tells the biker, he said, I, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but my dog just killed your dog. The biker said, hey, no way. What are you talking about? He said, yeah, your dog choked on my dog. Now, that's the kind of little doggy that Jesus is talking about here. I know it's a, a, kind of a goofy story, but it, just so that you get the picture that it, when Jesus uses this word dog, it's, it's, it's not this rough kind of dog. It's, it's something more, more petite. And I think he's doing this to connect with the woman because she picks up on that. Jesus, I think, softens this for this woman. Now, again, she could have looked at Jesus and said, who do you think you are? Where do you get off talking to me like this? But the grace of God comes to her, I believe. And Jesus, Jesus steps into this so profoundly. And so, again, her response to this statement about dogs is so incredible. Uh, look what Lady Faith does in verse 27. She said, this is the third time. She says, yes, Lord. A, a third time she is humbling herself. She, she is getting what the lordship of Jesus is about. The disciples haven't even figured this out yet. You know, in the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, the prophet says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got to recognize that you're calling on, on the Lord when you call on Jesus' name. 
Peter on the day of Pentecost repeats that prophecy. Peter gets that, that it, about the lordship of Christ. He says it shall come to pass, Acts 2.21, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Later, the Apostle Paul kind of repeats this same thing and declares to the church in the letter that he writes to Rome, he says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, Lady Faith is coming to see Jesus as her Lord. She starts out in verse 27, yes, Lord. Then she says this, even the doggies eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She picks up on the word that he said. She actually used the exact same word in the text. She says, go ahead, by all means, please feed the children, but I bet you got some crumbs left over for me. I bet, I bet as big and beautiful, Jesus, as your table is, even the crumbs are, 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 would fall off for somebody like me. She, she won't give up. She just keeps pressing in, and the disciples are watching this, and I don't know about you, but I think their jaws hit the floor. I think they think, I have never seen anyone. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen anyone show such confidence and humility and belief in, in Jesus. No boldness like this before, taking, taking this risk for, uh, for mercy. You know, when this woman showed up, they were all convinced that they were looking at their spiritual inferior. But now the, the tables have turned, and she's walking more deeply with Jesus than these men are. She's relating to Jesus at a level of understanding that they're not getting. They're, they're, her trust and boldness puts their understanding to shame. And I just imagine in this moment that a sheepish, sheepish kind of look comes on their faces. as they're, Remember, Jesus is still talking to them, watching, watching them. But now Jesus pulls back the curtain to show what he was really up to. He had for just a moment concealed the goodness of his heart, but he had a purpose in doing that. And now that purpose is, is being fulfilled. It's, it's, the test is over. And Jesus is starting to pass out grades now. Starting to pass out grades. And verse 28 says this. Jesus replies now to the woman. Oh, Woman, And that, that first little word, oh, is, is, is more like our, wow. It's kind of like, oh, wow, woman. This is incredible. I mean, he's just saying, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Oh, wow, woman. Great is your faith. Do you know who Jesus didn't use that phrase for he didn't go, oh, wow, to the disciples. He didn't say, great, great is your faith. You know, some of you may, may know this. In, in an earlier passage, if you go back to, to Matthew chapter 8, Jesus had given his disciples another test. It, it, it was a test, uh, the, the storm test. And they had been caught in a storm on the Sea of Galilee uh, with Jesus, and they panicked and they freaked out. And Jesus describes them there. He says, oh, ye of what? little faith. That, that, was what he, that was one of his favorite terms of endearment for his disciples, you little faiths. He would often refer to them as that. The, these, these Jewish men who had been with Jesus now for some time, who thought they were at the top of the spiritual ladder rung, were in the bottom of the barrel when compared to lady faith. The one graduating with honors that day was not disciples. It was this, this lady, wow, oh, woman, great, great is your faith. And she goes to her daughter who's been healed. And we never see or hear from this woman again that we know about, that we know about. Now, I don't claim to understand all of the fine details of this tug of war. I, I don't understand it exactly. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that this lady carried to her grave that tension that she was in, and then that message from Jesus, great is your faith. Oh, woman, great is your faith. And I believe in that exchange, as difficult as it may have been for her to walk through that, Jesus was developing enormous strength of soul in her. And I believe Jesus does the same thing for us. 
in our struggles if we will persevere with him if we will continue to humble ourselves to him if we will continue to look to him as our lord and the provider of all the mercy that we need in our moments of need i believe she kept that look of jesus in her mind the rest of her days now the disciples didn't get it that day they'll get it later you know they didn't get God's mercy that day. And the question is, have we? Have, have we gotten God's mercy completely? I want to close with just throwing kind of four apps out there with you about God's mercy. Just real quickly, we're going to, going to move through these quick. And, and here's the first truth, I think, that we need to grab hold of about God's mercy that really flows for me. If you want to call them, you know, takeaways from this for me, uh, is this. Here's the first one. Great faith recognizes great mercy can be for everyone. Great faith recognizes that great mercy is for everyone. Lady Faith saw mercy in Jesus. She wouldn't relent because she knew it. She pursued it. Now, hear me say this. Great faith doesn't mean perfect faith. Great faith is just simply applied to the right person. It's just simply who it's applied to, properly placed, if you would. That's what great faith is. And it means trusting that God is at heart a merciful God and that he makes his mercy available to everyone, even those who have failed past tests like the disciples did. And Jesus continued with them. And eventually, there comes a day Peter gets it. Peter, the Bible tells us in Acts that Peter is praying on top of a roof. And God sends him a vision that he's supposed to go to this Gentile uh, centurion named Cornelius. And God finally breaks through Peter's hardness of heart towards the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter says this, I really understand now. It's Peter saying, I finally get it that to God, every person is the same. And that in every country, God accepts anyone who worships him and does what's right. He says, you know the message that God has sent to the people of Israel is the good news that peace has come through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of all people. Jesus' mercy is available for all people, to any and everyone. It's available to anyone who's still drawing breath. All you need to do is come to Jesus like Lady Faith did and acknowledge him as, as Lord and trust that his mercy is available for you. Even if everything in the world looks like it's stacked against that. Even if the voices that you're hearing about Jesus don't sound like the Jesus that Lady Faith saw, you persevere knowing that God is a God of mercy. And that leads to the second thing about mercy that we need to know and it's this to know God is to know mercy if you know God personally intimately through his son you know all about mercy mercy is God's favorite description uh, of himself if we'd only ever corresponded uh, through email or text and I uh, wanted to get to know you a little better and I, I sent you this this question um, Please describe to me yourself in one word. What would that word be? Well, you know what one of God's favorite words for describing himself is? Merciful. Merciful. As a self-descriptor. In, in the book of Exodus, God is wanting Moses to get to know who he really is so that Moses can convey that to God's people. And so, in, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, God comes and says, I show mercy to thousands of generations. It's just what I do, man. In Exodus chapter 34, God has told Moses, I'm going to show myself to you. Now, you can't see my face or you'll die, but I'm going to show myself to you. So, in that moment, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, as God is passing by Moses, God is making a statement about who he is. This is a self-disclosure from God. God says, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God starts in his self-description to Moses as, I'm a God of mercy. In the Psalms, King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. The Bible tells us of King David, he was a man who was after God's own heart. And because of his own personal experience with God, 
He came to know God as the God of mercy. And we see this in his writings in Psalm. Psalm 86, David says of God, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. He starts with mercy. Later in Psalms 145, David again describing God, he says, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all. The Apostle Paul, one who had been caught up in that same deceived mindset of the people of Israel of his day, when he had his personal encounter with Jesus, came to see that God's mercy was for everyone. And later when he writes to the church at Ephesus describing God, he, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, God is so rich in mercy. God is so rich in mercy that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. See, God is rich in mercy to everyone. Even before we declare our trust in him, even while we're still dead in our sin, God is a God of mercy to us. He sends Jesus to show us his mercy. If you know God, then you know mercy. The third thing about this is this. If you walk with God, to do that is to walk in mercy. If I know this God of mercy through his son Jesus, I'll want to walk in that mercy myself every day. I want to grow in that mercy. I want to be a mercy missionary. That's what I'd want to be. In the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the prophet, this speaks the word of the Lord. He says this, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you, his people, to do what is right, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. See, to... To, to walk humbly with God, you've got to love mercy. And Jesus says here, again, in his teaching, that great sermon on the mount. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. See, one of the ways that you and I can come to know if we know the God of mercy is be, I'll want to dispense mercy on others. I'll remember that my God is a God of mercy, and I'll want to become somebody who dispenses it on others. I don't know where your mercy gets challenged. My mercy gets challenged driving. Just so you know. I was, I was coming up Latson Road this week, as I do pretty much every day. Coming up Latson Road, heading to Dorchester. And that's a, just not a great intersection for my soul. And I come up and um, I'm, I'm, I've inched my way up to, you know, I think I'm going to make the next light. And there's an Exxon station to your right right there on the corner. And people notoriously come out of the Exxon station. And, I mean, you're right in the intersection, basically. And they want, they want, somebody wanted me to let them in my lane. Can you imagine? They wanted me to let them in my lane. Now, you know in that moment what you do, right, so that you can avoid letting someone in your lane. You don't make eye contact. Because if you make eye contact, then you have to acknowledge their humanity. You know? If you don't make eye contact, you don't have to acknowledge that they're a human being. But, but I made eye contact in that moment. You know, the disciples that day did not want Jesus to let Lady Faith in their lane. They had more important things to do. I was on my way this week to work. Somebody wanted to get in my lane. And I'll tell you the truth. There were moments I thought, I ain't letting you in my lane. I got to get to the church because I got to write a message on mercy. <laughs> do you see how, how this works? Where this falls in our souls? What mercy does? How much of God do I know? Am I releasing? Because if, if I know God, the God of mercy, I want to become a missionary, a dispenser of mercy. Jesus, over in Matthew chapter 18, was talking about the kingdom of God. And one of the statements he made about servants who were not recognizing how they should live in the kingdom, Jesus said this, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you. See, in Jesus' kingdom, mercy is plentiful. 
And that's the last thing I want you to be captured by is this about mercy. Mercy multiplies. It's a character attribute of God. And it thrives and it multiplies. When you receive mercy from God and you start giving it away to others, you will not end up with less mercy. You will end up with more. You will get to see the mercy of God manifested in your life in new ways. That's who God is. Jesus' half-brother Jude, in his epistle, writes these words. To those who were called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you. Friends, there's more than enough mercy for everybody. God's word says it, it, it can multiply. God's mercy is renewable. It's a renewable source of energy for our lives. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23 tells us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new how often? Every day. God cycles, recycles some new mercy to you. Every day it's available to you and me. It's refreshed in our lives, constant supply, anytime we need it. It's not going to come up in your notes or on the screen. You may want to write it down, Hebrews 4.16. God's word there tells us that you and I have access to God's mercy anytime we need it. In fact, we can come to the throne of grace boldly when we need mercy. And ask God for it who gives it in plentiful supply because that's who he is. He's a God of mercy. Mercy is an expression of his goodness. It's who he is. God, your God, my God is good. His mercy is available to any and everyone. It will never fail. Especially if you long to live in it and live it out. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we just come. We come knowing God, even in this moment, that you're wanting to test our souls when it comes to mercy. And I don't know, maybe you're here today, and maybe you've never experienced the mercy of God found in Jesus Christ, that you have felt cut off from God. You have felt like Lady Faith did to begin with, like maybe it wasn't available to someone like you. And and friend, that's a lie from Satan. It's a lie from the pits of hell. God's mercy is for you. God's mercy in Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross, to express his great mercy for you. And Jesus displayed that on the cross. All you got to do is do like Lady Faith did and come to acknowledge, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord. I'm calling on your name, Jesus, recognizing that your name, you're the Lord of all. You're the Lord of all mercy, so I come to you, Jesus. And you can hear Jesus say to you by that coming, your faith is great. And Jesus will bring the mercy of God and pour it out on you. And he'll save you for all eternity. And he'll begin tracking your life differently, giving you hope, giving you access to that renewable energy of mercy that you need every day so that you'll know you have enough to start giving out to others who desperately need mercy or crying out for mercy. Maybe that's you today. Just call on the name of the Lord. Find his mercy to be saved. But most of us in this house, in this room, are people who have experienced that mercy at that level, but we've been hoarding it. And maybe the test that God has brought to us today is how are we dispensing that mercy? How are we pouring it out on others? What are we doing with the mercy that God has given us? Because to not distribute it means we we cut ourselves off from its full expression. Are you fully experiencing the mercy of God in your life till it overflows in you? Or are you feeling kind of cut off? Are you feeling like there's not enough to go around? Then my guess is there's places where you're hoarding mercy and not pouring it on others. And Jesus' message to you is that to his disciples. There's enough to go around. Will you, will you stand up and give mercy to others? Will you pour it out? Because in my goodness, God says, I have more mercy for you than you could even ask or imagine. And if you hoard it, it won't make it into your life. 
So just tell the Lord right now, God, I'm going to become a dispenser. God, give me opportunities to dispense your mercy. Maybe, maybe part of that is, is to, to be a part of Love Gave this summer. There are other ways that you can express that goodness of you finding God's mercy. Pour it out to the world. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in that. Father, we come right now. We come in this moment, closing our service out, wanting to declare to our own souls and to one another how good you are, how great and excellent your mercy is. God, you're just so good to us through the display of your mercy. And so we come to proclaim that before we leave this day, worshiping you. It's in your name we pray.